Yeah, when you were talking about going to an all all white school, I, I uh, <laughs> are you started <laughs> you started off with a black school. Bring that weight much all yeah yeah there you go get get real intimate with it and then uh, it's um, that was similar to how I grew up I started off first or kindergarten through fourth grade at a, a black school yep and then my mom's was like you're not getting enough homework so <laughs> now we gotta send you to not only just a white school but a Catholic mm-hmm. white school not mm-hmm. even Catholic you know what I mean so I went Catholic. from wearing whatever I wanted. Yep. Now I gotta wear Beautiful. all blue, mm-hmm. and walk through gang territory. Yep. And had a cops harassing me mm. over my over my Catholic school colors, you know. <laughs> and I'm like, yo, we wearing the same colors, so what's up? <laughs> you know what I mean? But you had a similar uh, upbringing, right? Mm-hmm. Did you now? Did you go to a Catholic school? Yeah. So it's like I went to a charter all black school, little school, preschool through fourth grade and I feel like that was probably the best thing that's happened to me because I was able to find an identity and, and a confidence within that that I didn't realize until I went from fourth grade through college and uh, went to all white school, all Catholic school. So I went to Catholic school from fourth grade through end up college. I went even to the most Catholic of Catholic schools at Notre Dame and uh, I was able to make it through. Um they definitely talk about living in the the white and the white and black world, uh, doing stuff like that through because of football and education. And the thing that got probably the worst out of it was that uh, black girls automatically assume I like white girls. Uh, <laughs> which <that> transition <laughs> was n- not true for Leo which Flowers, not, but became true. It became <laughs> yeah, it, it literally became the stigma. Like like right off the bat, they was oh you must. Must love white girls, and this is before I even introduced myself. So that's probably the the biggest stigma that came out of going that route, which is funny enough. But um, it's definitely a route that if you can make it through and not get, I guess, whitewashed through it, um, you get to see and operate in both worlds, which is, you know, put me in a really good spot for not only people like us, but um, from a black guy just in general trying to make it. I, a buddy of mine um, had, you know, he he's black also. Michael Graham, who I had on one of the, the podcasts, and we grew up similarly. And, um, you know, we, we've dated uh, different ethnicities, uh, <laughs> uh, a diverse array of women. And he, he said something that I was like, I never thought about it like that, that because we grew up in such a, a diverse uh, culture that, you almost need a woman who grew up uh, in a, as I, in as a diverse setting as you did, so that they understand, and not just the same color. Because you know, I've dated black women, and tell me if you had this experience where I'm like, "Why are we not vibing? We both the same color." You know what I'm saying? How you not hear this song? How you not see that movie? How, you don't know about Dolomite? How you don't know about Sam Cooke? Like, yeah. I, I ain't get it, and. Um, and then I realized, like, there are black women. Then there are upscale black. I was dating, you know, black women who who were in that upper class. Mm-hmm. Had that, you know, they had money growing mm-hmm. up. They had a, a house and both parents. And I can't relate <laughs> to black women who had a nice upbringing. Mm, I need yeah. a black woman who had a single parent. Yep. Uh, 
<laughs> maybe dad was home. Maybe he wasn't. And what he was, he had a couple drinks. Yeah. He grabbed the beer before he grabbed her. You know, like mm-hmm. it was, I need that kind of, uh, you know, uh, there's Relation. a drug dealer on the corner, but there's also a library on the corner. Like, For sure. It's <laughs> definitely got your options. There's yeah. Both, you live in both worlds of extremes. And that's definitely the truth growing up. You living in... For instance, me, myself, I'm living in a neighborhood that's all black my whole life and um, going through situations like that where you see the the good and evil of what your world could live in and your culture could live in being so close and then getting a chance to experience outside of that and going into a totally opposite culture just 45 minutes across town you and as like you going from all to to none, yeah, yeah, right, <laughs> real fast, and there's no in between, and just being able to adjust is a is a battle in and of itself because you don't fit in with the people that you go to school with necessarily, and right. then going back home, you lose touch with your friends there because you're not around them, you know, right, right. right. So uh, <laughs> staying in that limelight and 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 staying authentic within. Both worlds, I think, is something that both sides have appreciated, but um, you see a lot going through that, too, from the people around you as well, whether it be your friends or or your family members. So, um, How did you, because like you said, because uh, you're from Ohio mm-hmm. uh, and grew up on a, on a black side of the tracks, went to school on the white side of the tracks, and then that set you up to go to Notre Dame, yeah. right? <laughs> Like the the uh, I, I hate to say the whitest, but <laughs> super white, super Catholic, right? It's super. Like you thought you was at yeah, a white like, Catholic yeah. school before. Now it's like it is is it's magnifying. Yeah, oh, it's 10, yeah, it's ten x. Well, uh, <laughs> going going to so extreme. I honestly believe you know because I, I was really into football and uh, some of the reason why I went to that Catholic school through high school was because of football. They were such a powerhouse. Mm-hmm. And I played quarterback. Right. So um, at the time, I was just riding on the morals of, all right, I'm a black guy playing quarterback at a all-white school, and I'm, the, like, the only one, uh, one of the few. So if we're going to do it here and it has some success, you might as well just take it to the next level and go to the ultimate uh, school that – I don't, you know, there hasn't been a lot of uh, black prominence at the quarterback position. It was more of at a at a time for myself just proving a point. You know what I mean? That even a, a black left-handed quarterback, at that matter, can be able to uh, play at the whitest of white predominantly <laughs> schools and have success. You know, and um, obviously that was in the back of my mind, but it was also a motivation because it could have been easy for me being highly touted in high school to go to an Ohio State, uh, to go to, you know, um, people's uh, universities that people will have the idea of, oh, of course you would go there. You know what I mean? I think. Like Florida State. Like Florida State. Or, uh, LSU or Georgia. Exactly. Right, right, right. So um, I feel better about uh, being different in that regard that uh, going there and then we have people that follow behind me that are also uh, – uh, African-American to be able to just put a face to it. You know, you you'd usually think of Jimmy Clausens and the Brady Quinns at Notre Dame, and uh, now you got to think of me and, uh, you know, Brandon Wimbush and, and Deshaun Kaiser and guys that uh, mixed it up a little bit. So 
So, so that's interesting because what I hear you saying is that you picked Notre Dame because uh, you wanted to set a trend there racially. Is that was that the primary motivation, or it was? It may not have been the primary. You know, obviously, there's so many things in that world that I wanted to explore. That um, you know, going through Catholic school, I kind of saw some of the glimpses of what a network and what family. Um, structure looks like and uh, organization and things that um, I found fundamental within that school which made it work so well that seeing Notre Dame as an opportunity to see it on a global scale uh, and how they move logistically and um, in terms of the order and the networking that occurs there is something that I think if anybody gets an opportunity to take advantage of uh, you should it's a once-in-a-lifetime community and experience and, a, and something that you can't really explain unless you go there. So um, going there, I've been able to be in touch with people of all walks of life. Um, and not only that, but at a, a degree of people are doing some big things. You know, you'll have roommates that may have parents of CEOs next to McDonald's or, you know, and they would be living in that same uh, summer camp environment with you that is a truly a humbling experience, but um, it also showed that there's another way of doing things that were just outside of just the standard dynamic of black and white. And so that community and network feeling I got from that is something that kind of, uh, I think, personally, made me more of a holistic uh, person and, and somebody more self-identifying to our our own people and stuff. So yeah, there's there's something uh, you know. Everybody, I always believe that you have to build your network to build your net worth. Mm -hmm. uh, I just wrote that. People, wait, is that mine? <laughs> Can I put that on the t-shirt? <laughs> Don't do not steal that. You might have do to. not. That's mine right there. You heard <laughs> it here first. Build your network. To, I'm sure somebody said that, mm -hmm. but I'm gonna Google it though and find out. Um, because it's, it's true. I had a buddy of mine who. Um, he was working at, I want to say, Morgan Stanley or Baron Stearns, one of those huge hedge, hedge fund uh, companies, and he was making a couple hundred grand a year. And uh, he went back to school to go to, to get his master's at Harvard, his MBA. And I was like, why are you, why are you going back to Harvard <laughs> to get your MBA when you're already making a couple hundred grand a year? Like, you're already doing well. And uh, it was a brother, and he said, uh, he's like, you can't pay for that type of networking. Yeah. He goes, and then he, and then he came back uh, on his uh, spring break, and he was like, yo, I'm in class with uh, the daughter of the uh, CEO of, like, you know, uh, Louis Vuitton or something. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, like, like I'm, I'm, I'm in, like, I'm, I'm in, I'm in class with the son of uh, Bill Gates, mm -hmm. like that kind of thing. And it's like he goes, and they fly me out for Christmas to their house and blah blah blah. He goes, you can't, you can't, you can't pay for that. <laughs> you can't pay for that type of network. And when you, he goes, when you have that type of network, you'll never need a you'll never want for a job because now your job is a phone call away it's not a you don't have to interview you don't have to brush up your resume you just hey yo i'm out of work they'd be like yo we got a spot for you and and that's probably the biggest thing that 
I probably couldn't preach enough is the aspect of being in circles that you can network of that have influence. Um, going to Notre Dame, you find uh, those opportunities that you honestly, like you said, you can't you can't really understand the impact it has, not only in those four years of you being there, but in the later parts of your life where people connect to you on such a deeper level than just having a face-to-face relationship is something that you guys know what that experience was like. Only you guys know it together, and that stands above a lot. And so seeing that in college was probably my biggest accomplishment was seeing how networking and relationships last and hold more value than anything that you could really do from a job perspective and building relationships, you can accomplish anything, which helps you uh, honestly stay. You want to stay invisible through it all. Honestly, I think you the, said invisible. Yeah, I what think being mean? being visible in the structure, especially of how things are done and and get done. If people know what you're doing, it's easy to get the same thing taken away from you. Whereas um, staying invisible through networking and relationships and uh, building bonds is something that it lays in the background. And when things lay in the background, it can last forever. Um, people that don't know that you may be an investor in a certain company that's doing well is a lot more beneficial to how you spread and develop your relationships moving forward in the background because being visible can only be that more people know about you. But when things that may be going on around you that you may not know and that's going around you can last forever. And, uh, you know, when you talk about building real wealth and uh, real connections and influence and, and trying to change things, it's always the people that you never hear about. That's where it starts. So, it, And it's so true. It's like you watch these uh, Netflix documentaries. Um, they have one out now called, and I talked about this before, called The Family mm-hmm. on Netflix. And it's this family that is has been apparently influencing all the elections, you know, the money market, uh, global uh, imports and exports, but you never know who's in the, you don't know who's in the family. Yeah. You know, they're just called the family and they, they influence everything from religion to the stock market and things like that. And so it's like this whole idea of like, it's the, just the president, it's the senators, it's all these people making splashes in the headlines. You think, they're running things, the Bill Gates and the and the Mark Zuckerbergs, but there's this whole other covert group of people operating in the shadows, and they have no intention of starting an Instagram account. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're living in a day and age where people love telling everything about themselves. Everything. And, and it's just kind of like a trendy thing. I think deep down, everybody wants to be known in some respect or to be remembered. Uh, by their peers in whether it be haves or have-nots or just from an accomplishment standpoint. Um, it's, it's funny because people have so much grievances with it. At the same time, they're giving so much to it as well, where it's kind of like, all right, what do you want? <laughs> we, we, we make Instagram and these social media sites so powerful because we're just willingly wanting to be in that space, whereas I think, um, the genius part on their aspect was that they were like, hey, let's just give these people an opportunity to connect and they'll tell it themselves. <laughs> they'll tell what they want to tell. They'll create the content and, and we just sit back and uh, play some ads on there and make yeah. that money. So, um, the, uh, 
You you how old are you now? Twenty four. Twenty four. Uh, it sounds like you have a great head on your shoulders. Like I, I, I you you clearly are someone who are who is thinking uh, five, ten, twenty steps ahead. Um, could take us back to your childhood. Your your parents. Did you grow up with both parents? Yeah. So I started uh, with both parents in the home. I'm the only child. Okay. So I feel like that played a huge part in my life. Just from that part alone, and then my parents had gotten divorced uh, around third, fourth grade. So um, I think that kind of starts anybody's uh, journey of hitting rock bottom in the essence of which way can you go. Uh, that's probably one of the, the first big fork in the roads in my life was once that happened and being the only child is like, how do you respond to it? So I put a lot of that energy and effort into, into football, were you angry? You said a lot of energy. Was it like, what was your, well, how did you respond? You go from being in a comfortable setting, obviously uh, living with within a structure of your both of your parents, which I think is uh, hugely and widely important to an individual's success, especially when you're an only child, when you're you know you're really only getting from what you your parents are. And so... Um, Obviously, you have some resentment as a kid because you just don't know. But you also <laughs> are put in a position of what are you going to do with it, too. And I guess at that age, you learned, uh, I learned early that it's not about what happens. It's about how you respond to things. And energy meaning, like, just my attention and focus at that time went less from being comfortable to being working a comfortability in an uncomfortable space and put that into football and uh, it started growing from there, man. I got a, a huge love for it in terms of learning the process of dedication and consistency and and practice with intent, you know. And uh, it grew, and that competition also grew out of me. So the two things that probably grew out of me was that motivation and competition aspect, uh, and it helped with football, and it, it got me to kind of where I was going. So um, also a big a big shout out to my dad as well because uh, he really put me in position over at the white schools, uh, Catholic schools, to kind of ingrain myself in there through the football program. So he went over there and volunteered to coach and he taught a little bit and just got involved where he made connections to where I was in sixth, seventh grade transitioning over there for the football team. I was like the ball boy for the high school team. And so... uh he worked his way there, and I got really cool with the coach and the guys on the team. So um, it developed a real easy transition for me from the football side of things. And then because I was going to go there in high school and not elementary school. So I'm plugged right in early, and then uh, he had moved to Arizona. So when I got to high school, it was already a smooth transition where um, it was easier for me than just being dropped in there. So so your your parents divorced, and then you were living with your mom. Mm-hmm. And, and, and your and so it sounds like even though your parents divorced, your dad was still a part of your life and uh, uh, at least thoughtful enough to go to a school to help to think about you. It would help you to transition better at that school. Yeah, and that's and I think that's the huge thing that's the difference in my life from so many other stories was that uh, my dad's involvement from maybe not being directly there but indirectly uh, building kind of that pathway for me that not that my mom couldn't have done it because she did a great job, obviously, being there with me in those moments, but um, 
just having that vision for me to start as a seed and then kind of develop my own way through it to lead me, obviously, to bigger things with Notre Dame and moving us forward. Well, uh, what, are your, what does your mom do? So my mom is a civilian worker for the government. She worked for Wright-Patterson Air Force Base right. a long time, and then she transitioned to working down in Maryland in the D.C. area uh, at Andrews Base uh-huh. uh, once I left for college and everything. The I want to talk about two things you said. Uh, you you mentioned you say working on uncomfortability in an or or on comfortability in an uncomfortable space. How can you? Yeah. Can so we say can you rephrase that and then <laughs> or just say it again because I, I have no idea. But I just like what and then unpack that for us. So basically, I was explaining. Working on being comfortable in an uncomfortable space. Okay. So um, a lot of times in life, and and we should be also excited about things that happen in our lives that become a challenge. Um, and when you're placed in uncomfortable situations, especially uh, when they're placed upon you, you find opportunities to grow in knowledge and wisdom and strengthen where you couldn't get it uh, otherwise. So... I compare it to when you're pedaling up a hill, you know, it's hard, it's strenuous, it takes effort, you got to be detailed, you got to be focused to get up the hill, because when you make it, it's a it's a relieving, awesome moment, it's a very successful moment, as opposed to going down the backside of the hill, where it's a lot easier, and, you know, you may get confident with it, and overconfident, and, you know, going on a bike, you might take your hands off. And now you free falling down the hill. You're going at a good speed, and it's the littlest things like you hitting a small rock that can mess you up. You know, could be severely. So it just shows that the difficulty in life is what you need to reach that big, bigger success, and that the things that come easy, um, you know, always lead with bigger consequences. Similar to how they say you you play stupid games and win stupid prizes is <laughs> along the same lines. You want to find those difficulties in life to because that's what they say martyrs do so martyrs are just people that look at impossible feats and just try them and when they get through them you know they end up being the martyrs we understand they are today because they have that certain knowledge and wisdom that they couldn't have gotten from anything else so um being put in the position of myself where i was the only kid and their parents are getting divorced it was like, okay, it's easy to do the shutdown, um, you know, go into this whole inner shell, bad, uh, down bad type of kid with, could blame it on, you know, I don't have anybody to support me, yada, yada, yada. Um, I could have easily did that or I could have turned that same focus of energy into putting it to something constructive that and in essence could bring a family together like, uh, a good football career or just being a positive leader with the people that you interact with as you get older. And, you know, at the end of the day, you may go through bad things, but I feel like going through that has put me in good spots to handle other difficulties in my life that uh, come up, you know, on a daily basis. Yeah, because you cause you went from playing at Notre Dame for, uh, was it four years? Yeah, three and a half. I graduated. Three and a half. Early. Graduated in three and a half. Which, uh, by, by the way, congratulations! Oh, That's a you. huge feat to graduate in three and a half years. 
I'm gonna put you on the spot. What was your uh, GPA? <laughs> Number wise, uh, graduated. <laughs> <laughs> Degree. <laughs> we got it done, baby. <laughs> and I typically would not have asked that, but I figure if you did it in three and a half, you know that to me just it reeks of ambition of getting it done of uh by any means necessary of uh, uh strong focus because the average college student is now taking five years to graduate just because i mean one is they keep moving your credits around because i remember when i when i first started uh my, my from my freshman year to my senior year all of a sudden they're like no nah, now you need like 15 more credits to grad or you know something you know it's like i didn't realize this was a sliding scale kind of thing. Um, but then the other reason why it takes people uh, a while to graduate is uh, uh, financial. You know, they run out of money, uh, uh, so they, they have to go part-time or, or whatever it is. So to be an athlete and to have the, the schedule of an athlete, and, and plus you have, to, you, know, you have to be a full-time student for your scholarship to graduate three and a half years, congratulations no matter what the GPA is. Because the truth is, you get out in the workforce, nobody is asking about your GPA. Man, nobody's asking nah. about your degree either. Nah, nah. <laughs> Usually, what do you get your degree in? <laughs> uh, film and television, ironically. Yes, sir. Um, and international peace studies as a minor. So, and, uh, okay, did you have to take a language for that then? Oh uh, Yeah, we had to take a language to graduate, but um, it just all incorporated itself within uh, the minor. Um, that, yeah, and, and so and that, and that set you up for so I'll, let's go backwards a little bit because I definitely want to get into because you are uh, now a TV host or radio host. Uh, so yeah, I do uh, TV entertainment, but it's more digital. So it's like okay. social media, YouTube. Got you. And then I do TV analysts for CBS for like football games and uh, studio stuff. Remarkable. Um, you you hurt your ankle. Mm. Right. Can you can you can you t talk us through that? Because a lot of people have injuries like Kevin Hart, just, uh, you know, car accident. And it happened so fast. So like, fast. He was just taking a picture. You know, he was just taking a picture with the car mm -hmm. and, you know, showing his little workout and everything. And, uh, and then, boom, now back surgery. And, and I really hope that he uh, he documents the comeback. And yeah. in the in the physical therapy and the training, because we all need to see that. We all need to see that um, return to strength. The return to strength. It's one thing to have it and maintain it, uh, like we've seen uh, with the Rock. I mean, that's that's part of like what makes the Rock story so great. Dwayne Johnson is that um, you know when you look at photos of him and when he was a wrestler, <laughs> you're like, man, I I, I know that there was another level that mm -hmm. he could reach physically. Um, and he's done that. Um, and uh, so can you take us through, like, what happened with the ankle and and what what you went through to rehab that and everything? Yeah, so um, 2015 was the season for us. It was my first year uh, coming out the gates and starting um, quarterback. Man, it was a super, super exciting time in my life. Um, the team we had was a national championship team. We, I feel, we were arguably one of the most talented teams in in school history. From so just white girls just throwing themselves at you. 
I think uh, I think just attention in general was thrown at us. Like <laughs> great answer, great from, answer, from everything, great answer. We had a lot going for us <laughs> as a team, and I mean everybody was felt like a real strong connection uh, going into the season. Our first game, we played really well. Um, we did some amazing things, and, we, and, you know, we thought that was it. We was like, okay, we're coming for the whole thing. And this is during the time of before Deshaun Watson and Clemson took off. This was that at that same starting point. And we, had, we played them that later that year, and, you know, that was a good game. But, but I'm the starting quarterback, finally. Like, finally earn my stripes, you know, get a chance to start and playing super hot. Uh, going to the second game of the season at Virginia, playing great and get hurt for the whole year. Um, super tough time, man. You as an athlete, you play all your life up to twenty years trying to trying to fit into a two to three month window of trying to make it professionally, and so getting injured at the cruxable moment of taking that big leap or that big jump. Into into good positioning for that, uh, it hurts on an emotional standpoint because, you know, one you can't predict it, and two when it comes, it comes at the most unfortunate times. Um, I had felt like I had battled a lot to get to that point of even starting and earning that position and getting everything how I wanted it and planned out and. Uh, you know, everything was going smooth and then getting hurt so abruptly where it would be different if this was halfway during the season or somewhere where I could have got going pretty well. Some momentum, at least. Yeah, yeah. this was like at the – just the, the taking off part, which um, – Somebody hit you or – uh, Something unpreventable. Line? Obviously, you know, I'm keeping my eyes forward and somebody from behind me got me. So something I couldn't really adjust to in the heat of the moment because I couldn't see it. And uh, you chalk it up to the football gods, man. You can love football, but it doesn't always love you in the same capacity. So I get hurt. I knew I I knew I messed it up the whole season. So when they came, you know, they run on the field, I was like, just help me get off the field. You know what I mean? I wasn't truly, like, physically hurt at the time. I was just super emotional within the moment as an athlete because, you know, um, nobody likes to get hurt or wants to get hurt in those positions, but that's just what comes with the game. And then when you get hurt and, like you said, you're building up momentum, you're coming off a championship uh, year, what – how do you mentally get through that period? So you know, um, are you going to therapy? Like what – like how do you – that's – It's tough. Uh, there's no instruction manual for how to get through um, a specific injury to you uh, as you're going through it. I think the thing that stood so close to me was the fact that I felt ready to take on um, challenges from just the understanding itself. I think a lot of times um, people, especially we can even dive into depression, like um, the more and more I talk to people that have gone through it or that have been in situations like that uh, are in a position they live in a gray area. You ask a lot of people, do you, do you really know how or why or that you're going through a certain mental state of depression or what may be? And a lot of it is living in the gray. They don't really know. 
Um, I tell people all the time, I've never met a decisive person that was a depressed person, for instance. Wow. And that that meant a lot to me, and, and my situation getting through an injury was that I made a decision to, to, to take on this challenge of being hurt because when you're physically injured, um, there's nothing you can do, you know, from a physical standpoint of bouncing back. But the only thing you can do is make a decision uh, to have your effort and attitude be in a positive light because that's truly the thing that you can overcome. It goes back to speaking things in, into existence. And um, I have always had a positive outlook on the things around me because just from a consistent and uh, understanding standpoint, it's just like I know it can't be forever. <laughs> that's how life is built. But that comes through a, a self-understanding of self where, you know, you're going to have a peaks and valleys at all points, but these challenges are meant for you to, to get to that, that next level of wisdom or uh, whatever strength you need that you may not find being comfortable. That's why they say your family, yeah, it's great to have the love of your family and the love from the people around you, but you can never truly grow into a, a true understanding of wisdom and power until you go through adverse times. That's why the world is made of opposites. You can't really know what's good until you know what's bad. And experiencing both is what um, needs to happen. So when I got hurt, it was easy to be sad, just as it was easy for me to uh, to shut down after my parents' divorce. But um, knowing myself and knowing how uh, strong we are as a, as a people, honestly, I mean, there's a lot worse that's happened to not only myself in life but you know black people in general like we went through 400 years of going through a lot of tough stuff and seeing that resiliency through our history as well as knowing that is at the end of the day it's just a game and uh the bounce back is what really matters it is still for me uh the test of time that i'm gonna take this in the positive light and put a positive spin and it's gonna work out Man, there are so many things that you said, Malik, that I want to unpack. And I'm gonna, I want to really start with the last thing that you, you mentioned where you said, when you look at the history of our people, you see the resiliency. When you, when you think about all the things that we've been through, we've been able to fight back. What's beautiful about that is that a part of depression is a focus on the self. There's a lot of research that shows uh, one of the indicators of suicide and uh, of depression is, uh, but especially suicide, is um, uh, referring to yourself in the first person. And uh, when I think about some of my colleagues, comedic colleagues and, uh, and some other people, they they were doing that, and because when you refer to yourself in the in the first person, it, it's an over identification with the self, and you lose touch of uh, your connection to your family, to your friends, uh, and to your history. And what was beautiful about what you did is that you said, "I man, my ankle is jacked up." Uh, this could be a season-ending uh, career, yeah, uh, injury for me. Um, this feels horrible. Uh, 
saddening, maddening. Uh, but then you go, oh, but my, but my people have been through worse. And I know that everyone listening right now is not uh, black. <laughs> I, have, I have listeners in Germany. I have listeners in uh, uh, Iran, uh, in Sweden, in Norway, Italy, Canada. Thank you all for listening in. And so people of all different colors, shapes, and sizes. But the point is, is that no matter where you're from or what your ethnicity, you have a history. Your people have a history. Canadians have a history. Germans have a history. Uh, black people have a history. Africans have a African Americans have a history, and then Africans have it. You know, it's like look at the history. That's where you can draw strength from. That's where you can draw your resiliency from. It doesn't always have to come from you directly. Uh, if you, if it can't come from your parents, because I know not everybody had great parents. Um, or even a, a good family tree. Some of you will never do 23andMe uh, because you're afraid of what you'll find. But um, look at the history of your people or look at the history of your country or look at the history of your, your company. But, but the ex expand your sphere of, uh, of, of awareness, yeah. right? Yeah, that sphere of, uh, that sphere of influence, man, I, I think. You know, nobody goes through this life alone. You know, you hear so much of, oh, I'm self-made. Oh, I don't need anybody. Oh, I'm so independent, which is, in my opinion, not totally true. Um, everybody needs somebody, whether it be uh, as close as a family member or just a role model you look up to. I mean, I give a lot of credit to a motivational standpoint, not only from my parents, but from Eric Thomas, um, a, a big motivational speaker that I've been uh, lucky enough to be in contact with and, and check a lot of his his work as I've gotten through, you know, this college football deal and just in life in general from his motivational talks to just understanding the self. I think when you truly get a in-touch version of yourself, you have self-love. And when you have self-love, you know, you see other people in that same regard. So um, a lot of what I started doing when I got hurt was – uh, focusing more on uh, myself and how I treat other people. I mean, you know, when you're playing a quarterback position, just from the nature of it, it's a pedestal type of position where people just treat you a certain way. Um, getting hurt is obviously the equalizing factor within any um, structure of football because you're put to the to bottom, I guess, in a sense, where you can't physically help the team, but uh, – when you're put in that position, you're also given a chance to make connections on a different uh, level or plane of uh, mentality with other people because now they see you in a relatable, vulnerable position, and which is truly shows your real character because when everything is going good, it's easy to put that mask of uh, uh, that mask up where you can portray something different. Whereas when you're visibly vulnerable, as well as different in a in a mental state because everybody knows what happens to you you know uh it's a it's a good opportunity to show your true self and and truly embrace being vulnerable i think a lot of times people uh fight with themselves over being vulnerable and not being vulnerable and open themselves up and when they bottle things up and keep things so guarded you know you feel like it's you versus the world mentality that 
uh, puts you in a real drowning position. You know, there's 7 billion people on the planet, and I don't think you're meant to be you versus everybody else. I think we have an inner uh, innate spirit to connect and congregate with people around us because that's what makes us a, a whole. Now, I hear you. I hear, Be vulnerable. <laughs> but you 24 years old, <laughs> a black man, a man, a person. It's tough to be vulnerable uh, in a relationship. It's tough to be vulnerable uh, at work. It's tough to be vulnerable with your boys to be like, yo, man, what you said really hurt me. Like, <laughs> when you talk about being, can you unpack that more for us? Because a lot of people, and, and not just men, but women, also struggle with, um, the other day, um, someone said something that really hurt me. And uh, instead of just saying it hurt me, I, I responded just with, like, uh, I, I didn't say anything. I waited to, 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 to get my revenge. Mm. And I got it, you mm. know. But, I, you know, I don't want to use the word revenge as if, like, I, 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 I physically hurt this person. But I waited to use what was said to me back on them. And then I got it. And then the person didn't even realize that they had said it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And then and, and I realized if I had just said what you said hurt, like it would have squashed all that instead of me holding this thing in and then waiting and then attacking. And it was like I didn't have to do that. And it was just because it's hard to say, to be vulnerable, like you said. And, and I think being vulnerable isn't always this like, oh, what you said hurt me. Like there are powerful ways to be vulnerable. Can you talk more about what that that word vulnerability means for you and give us an example of when you... Yeah, uh, being vulnerable, I think, is something that it goes to the essence of, you know, how a person operates and communicates. Uh, when you're vulnerable, I think you communicate very well. Um, communication is what most people get upset about when it comes to interpersonal relationships because you you feel a certain uh, vulnerability that somebody else should have with you. Um, a lot of times people don't like to be vulnerable but want everybody else to be vulnerable to them. Um, and it, it, it comes to where you uh, mix paths because you you truly see yourself in a different light than somebody else sees you. And honestly, a lot of what I believe is that um, the only thing that truly matters is what you think of yourself. And what you think of yourself, you have to be honest. When you go to sleep at night thinking to yourself, am I, am I truly happy with myself? Am I happy with what's going on around me? Because how you really change your environment is changing yourself. You want to change somebody else's perspective or you want to change somebody else's behavior, change yourself. You know, um, personally, I was in a position where, let's talk about football. You know, I'm in a quarterback room where, you know, tensions are high. You know, you're playing at a Division One school where it's a pedigree where, you know, everybody's trying to be for themselves and be out to win. And, uh, you know, egos and, and frustrations can obviously fill the room with tension at times. But uh, instead of me embracing and, and forcing somebody else to do different, I decided to be different myself. And that reflection then turns on to the rest of the people that watch you, like, 
nobody ever wants to hear advice when it's not asked for. You know what I mean? As much as, even if it could be great advice, nobody wants to hear it if you didn't ask for it. The best way to give advice is to show advice. So when I say changing myself, like, instead of me being so uh, confrontational with the, the other individual boy about why they're not seeing how I see it, I just started seeing it myself. You know, I started doing things that I would want uh, to be reflected upon other people for me. So whether it be going out of my way to make an effort to acknowledge something about another individual or going out of my way to do something that will make me feel better, in turn, that relationship and respect comes across uh, in other forms. So being vulnerable, a lot of it is about keeping a G with yourself. You know, if you can't be honest with yourself about what you may lack or what you even being appreciative of what you got going for you. I think a lot of times people get stuck in this too humble situation where everything is too humble. You know, when uh, I think, especially with athletes, you get in those interviews and they're just like, oh, it wasn't me. Oh, it wasn't me. I didn't do. Oh, it wasn't me. I think that's self-defeating too. That's self-deprecating. Um, yes, there's a very uh, integral part about playing your role within the team, but team also has me in it. And, you know, you don't blood, sweat, and tears every day with the people next to you to not be uh, excited about your own growth. And I think that's how people fall to the wayside a lot of times, too. It can not only be negative but positive. Uh, give credit where credit is due. If you feel like you've done a lot to put yourself in a position to be prepared for that opportunity and you take advantage, acknowledge it just for yourself. I think a lot of this is going back to what you think of yourself. And if you never give yourself any credit – and you always have self-defeating thoughts and you can never trust nobody. Like, for instance, I have a point to relationships. You don't want to be in a relationship with no girl that just can't trust nothing. Because <laughs> what does nothing get you? Nothing. Like, you want at least to have a basis of of some type of, let me at least, an earn it system, if anything. You know, let, let me, me at earn least the trust, right? earn the trust. But just being so uh, unwilling to be vulnerable, I think, is a very self-defeating quality to have for someone who wants a relationship or someone who wants to network or someone who wants to be a better them. So that's the first step, man. It's about getting over yourself. Not everything is so serious. Like laugh. <laughs> laugh a couple it, it's so true that, you know, I, it's like we're all on this tiny rock and we're spinning through the universe, right? You're on this tiny little pebble and it's, and it's, and the earth seems so massive, seems so big. But when you compare it to the universe, you're like, oh, man, we just a little grain of sand. We're just a grain of sand compared to the universe. That's why I love watching um, uh, uh, nature documentaries like Our Planet on Netflix uh, or uh, One Strange Rock is narrated by Will Smith on Netflix because, it, you know, they're, ta they're telling the perspective of the, of the earth from uh, the from astronauts' perspective, yeah. you know, and when you look at the Earth from there, from the Moon, from Mars, from a space shuttle, then you start to you start to realize like how ridiculous. Like, you know, there's this guy Gary V. And shout oh, out, yeah. I'd love to have Gary him on. V. And his whole thing is leaving a legacy. And he's like, I want to leave a legacy, and you should all want to leave a legacy. And and I'm like, leave it for who? Like, it's good. Yeah, you do the best in front of you, but all this is not going to be here forever. And 
just you being here is leaving a legacy. Like, we all think we have to do 10x or achieve some grand, noble, whatever, but just your what you are doing right now at this very moment has a ripple effect on everything and everyone around you. So you don't have to go somewhere or go do something. What you're doing right now has an impact because we are all connected. Yeah, you know? we're very connected. It's like how nature is very interdependent on each other. Talk about the birds and the flowers. Um, the male flower can't pollinate with the female flower without the bee. So the bee connects with the male giving off his scent so the bee can find the male and get pollinated and go back to the female. That's how they nature want works with each other. Whereas humans, the reason why we're not interdependent on nature is because of our own free will. Our own free will gives us the opportunity to be not only interdependent with nature around us, but to make our own decisions, which is the difference between us and nature. But as we can tell from nature's example, nature can't work not together. You know, nature is one in itself. That's why we have dominion over the creation because it works within itself. Whereas we as humans have that choice. So whenever we decide to work with one with nature or one with the universe, things tend to work out for us. <laughs> it's right. when we don't and when we, you know, ignore the signs or or try to go against the grain unnecessarily, it, it, it gives us those uh, adverse opportunities as well. Let me pick your. Did you see Dave Chappelle's new special? Oh yeah, I love okay. Dave Chappelle. Shout out Ohio, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. That's where that's where he lives, right? That's where he has his household. And um, the the opening sequence of Dave Chappelle's special, he talks about Anthony Bourdain, mm -hmm. and um, and how he's like Anthony Bourdain had the greatest job in the world as a. Um, he travels the world, he eating food the world, with famous making all people. that money, <laughs> eating great food, going to beautiful places, and uh, and you know studied martial arts. Yeah, took his life, and then he talks about his buddy, who got fired from his job, got a divorce, was making a lot of money, and then is now working um, at a shoe store or something mm -hmm. like that. And he goes. But and my friend is still alive, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, something like that, right? Dave Chappelle's crazy. And he kind of just left it there, like he didn't really go much deeper than that. And I bring that up to say that it, it goes back to what we we're talking about with social media, in that social media has us thinking that people are living much greater lives than what they are, mm. and we don't see the spaces in between the photos right like yeah. that like that's a snapshot that's a millisecond of a million seconds of a person's life mm -hmm. of a person's day and we're just catching one snapshot of that that they're jumping in the pool or they're landing in london or they're at a party in petty or they're on a yacht in ibiza we're catching that one snapshot and we have no idea that uh, they're landing in London because they, they're going to get breast cancer. They're going for breast cancer treatment. And, you know, and that's the best place to get it. Or they're on a yacht in Ibiza uh, because uh, they, they got a divorce. And, you know, they're just like, 
they're, they're just trying to, you know, uh, um, drown their feelings in partying and drugs and things like that. Um, and so we don't, we don't, we don't catch the gray areas of what's going on. And uh, and I think with Anthony Bourdain, it's it's not. I think part of the downfall is everybody said he had a great life. Mm-hmm. You have a great life, man. You have the best job in the world. But when I read articles about Anthony Bourdain and his life, uh, it was it was uh, reported, and you know I'm not confirming, but it was reported that his wife was cheating uh, on him, and uh, and then um, he felt lonely, even though he was on the road and traveling. He was traveling by himself. Yeah, yeah he had the camera crew, but I don't want to go. To, to Ibiza in Thailand with two other dudes, yeah. with a producer and the camera guy, right? Because, yeah, that's cool, but now I'm in a hotel by myself, yeah, right? And, you know, and you travel, like, like the hotel, man. Oh, man, yeah. It, it's so <laughs> great going into the hotel, going mm. in through the lobby and checking in. But and when you, you get there, Yeah, and then old. you get in your room, as soon as that door closes, you're like, Oh. Yeah, it ain't nobody. Yeah, and that's um, that's real, man. I, I lived a very similar life in terms of travel, and being solo dolo through all the fun stuff, all the fun stuff that people see me doing, you know. And um, I think something that has keeping me grounded and keep, kind of keeping me in a a level space of reality is that um, I moved my friend out with me from high school that does videography and he's a rapper trying to make it and, and coming up and doesn't have anything right now. But, uh, I moved him in with me and going through all this. I'm like, yeah, it's easy to do all this by myself and to have success by myself. But that's just not how life is supposed to work, man. Like, especially for thinking of it, going back to thinking about our people is that, yeah, we're very good at having one or two of us, be in a unique position where we're a heavy influence, making a lot of money, but it's only one or two of us, you know what I mean? So um, seeing that perspective and bringing on my friend who doesn't have much of anything right now, um, <laughs> living with me every day and me having, you know, a good starting point, but working together to build us both up is something that is very motivating for me when I go on the road and, um, and do my my deal that, you know, I'm, I'm in a comfortable position, obviously, but uh, that living in that space where we're traveling out of Airbnbs trying to, you know, come together and make it happen so we both get on has been the fun journey that I live every day as opposed to living that kind of um, fun reality. Everybody sees me doing fun stuff world, but similar when I was in going to all Catholic all predominantly white school, living in an all-black area, kind of keeping that dynamic in my life in some respect has put me in a good place to be positive and see these challenges and, and, and keep growing. And I always advise people to tell people that always keep reading. Um, I think people stop reading and, and then they stop growing because they stop learning about stuff. And when you think you know it all or or don't have a... Uh, uh, a thirst for learning more or educating yourself more about yourself and your people or 
just things in general that you're interested in, you know, they say the devil is a idle mind, you know what I mean? So you start thinking about all type of crazy stuff. So I always encourage people to read, man. Just pick up a book. You ain't got to read the whole series of Harry Potter in one night. But um, for me, I I tend to read uh, to just stay in the, the present moment. I think living in, in the present and living in the moment is something that's taken for granted a lot of the sense because I, going back to depression, I think a lot of people overthink a circumstance and worry about things they can't control in the moment. You know, they think about an issue and then it grows so big that it's just like, oh my gosh, I don't know how to handle this. Whereas staying in a moment where it comes to even just the simplest of if you're eating food, just eat your food. You ain't got to be on your phone. You ain't got to be talking to somebody. You ain't got to be doing different things. Just eat your food. And I guarantee you, one, you'll enjoy it. I mean, I've never had a bag of Doritos so good when I just focus on eating Doritos. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, man, Doritos are actually, they got something in that red bag. You know what I mean? As opposed to trying to look at YouTube videos as I'm eating and trying to be distracted. So living in the moment, man, I think it, it goes to those details and living in the black and white. You got to make those decisions in your life where you don't live in the gray, man. Even Jesus said uh, the worst person to be is on the fence. You know what I mean? Like you said that. Yeah, so Jesus. How did well, he say it? Do you say it like that? He said he rather take a person that makes. So I put it in. I'll give it not even religious terms. We'll just talk about me and you. You know, me and you were at the carnival and we getting into a fight and somebody's trying to pick a fight with you. Do you want me to be half in the fight and half out, or do you want me to help you? At least if I run away, you know what you're getting. You know what I mean? But if I'm in and out on the fight and watching you get beat up and then kind of helping but not really, at the end, you're going to be mad at me because you like, you could have did something. <laughs> because like we talked about, the worst thing that, the worst thing about nothing is nothing. You get nothing from nothing. So, you know, what's interesting is, is there's so much about, um, you know, if you're religious, going back to you going to a Catholic school. And now, like I said, I went to a Catholic school. Wait, are you even Catholic? I'm not Catholic, what are you? but I could, I could. I guess I could be Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> Going to Catholic. Catholic school for so long, I guess I, you know, I know all the sayings and the, the what rituals. What baptized as? I was, I'm actually not baptized because I went to Catholic school for so long, I didn't get confirmed. Wow. So I just focus on the spirituality of gotcha. things. I bring it up to because, uh, you know, growing up Catholic, there was so much emphasis on heaven and hell. But what you're talking about is purgatory right that that space in between where uh god or the higher being hasn't decided which direction you should go and it's interesting because to me that's what anxiety is anxiety depression or at least a part of it is you you just haven't decided on which way which direction you're gonna go you know what i mean yeah 100 percent um you know, being a very spiritual person um, and being in tune with self, I think a lot of it is taking a lot of mythicism out of uh, sometimes what religion can bring people in terms of, you know, there's a, a a general percentage of people that believe that there's some something in the sky and something below, you know, whereas there's something in the heavens that, you know, God is watching us on his Mac book computer like checking everything that we doing to make like Santa Claus or something and then they think there's something under the ground where it's the guy waiting to burn you in internal fire for doing stuff that's under sin 
um, I choose to believe in and take the approach of, you know, um, heaven and hell being like a plane of existence or a state of mind. You know what I mean? When you haven't eaten in three days, you hungry as hell. And at that point, there is no gray area. It's a decision need to be made. If you don't eat, you know, you live in that gray area. Oh, I'm kind of hungry, but I don't want to eat. And you'll die from not eating. That's what living in the gray gives you in a, in a reality sense. You know, yes, yeah, hell on earth when you ain't got no food. But when you have an abundance of food, that's considered heaven on earth. You know what I mean? And these are things that are all within the plain existence of your mind. So um, I think changing your circumstances and being decisive uh, play a big part into the heaven and hell of the reality that you live in. So um, the decisions that you make, the cause and effect bring upon heaven and hell on earth. So, you know, if you're in a position of, all right, am I going to rob this bank? The consequences of playing a stupid game gives you stupid prizes. So you can win a prize to go to jail, and jail is, on essence, hell on earth because it's not only entrapping you mentally but physically, whereas, you know, you can, on the flip side, live a, a very uh, healthy relationship and, and have a family that, you have morals and values and that you stand on and you have a united front with your your wife and your kids that brings you heaven on earth. That's something that is real for the individual. Um, that's something that's tangible within your reality. You know, you we tend not to, well, a lot of us tend to put our hopes and wishes in, in the sky, you know, and I think, um, you know, prayer without works is nothing. So obviously if we, have a electric bill that we need to pay. It's nothing that we need to pray on. It's something that we need to go actively do, but you can only do from within, which is what we believe that if you can do with what if you can do with what is already inside you, that's you talking to yourself and you talking to God. So. Are you talking to your roommate right now about you need to pay this electric bill? Uh, <laughs> Listen, we uh, pay that electric bill, roommate. We uh, we definitely have accommodated for him to try to keep making it for right now. So, you know, I'm I'm worried about is he making songs and stuff to right. get on track? Is right. he, you know, working on promotion to get get settled because you know the money's gonna come and go and. You know, I've, I was fortunate enough to be in a position where uh, I had didn't have anything, you know what I mean? So I know what it's like to not have anything and, and to go through it with other people who don't have it. And uh, we come out on top from working together. And it's it's about, you, like I said, about being vulnerable and building those connections, man. You need to have uh, dynamics in your life. Like, it's it's a shame. And we can even talk about... Uh, the privilege in society that people have is because they live in a one-dimensional uh, uh, a world. You know how we were able to both of us be fortunate to live in uh, different economic dimensions as well as uh, just from a place in a day-by-day -day operation. Uh, those dynamics that we lived in gave us the, I guess, the knowledge and wisdom to know how to balance the two, whereas you can be in the two of the extremes where you cannot be around poverty. You cannot be around uh, economic or systematic disparities. You cannot be around it and build up this unknowingness that is very detrimental when you live in, in a society where there's so many different things going on and can make you unsensitive to what's going on when you're not exposed to the different uh, realities that, that live amongst you. So, 
it goes back to why they're why is it bad things happen to good people? Well, you got to focus on those those dynamics that make you even understand what's going on in general. You know what I mean? That's the beauty of of life. That um, even with depression, I think um, black. Even speaking for my own uh, in terms of black mental health, um, it's it's going through dynamics of that you can have where you have support, and um, that support is a, a communal front where you realizing that everybody is generally going through some of the same things. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're not the I'm not the only person in my life that's went through divorce as an only child, but realizing and being vulnerable to realize that I'm not the only one. Uh, you know, obviously gave me a motivation to to fight for those who was in the same position I was in and, and show that you can still come out on top. Um, I'm very fortunate to be in a position where I've gotten to see the path on how to do it. And, um, you know, moving forward, you just want to continue to be in a spot where you can help people in those same opportunities. What What are you reading right now? Oh, man, I got it. Okay, so my prize collection Uh-oh. that prize I own collection. is my books. I I get books and I read shit. <laughs> I didn't appreciate books until I was out of school. Like I get books and I read shit. That you know, is a t-shirt right there. <laughs> Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I get books and I read shit. <laughs> I, I think I've picked up reading so much because after school, you know, you're so excited to not learn anything for a while that um you can you can grow to to be the person that you are looking on your phone every day to be like I after school I was like on my phone so much that I'm like man I'm really living a social media life like I need um a substance to pull from that that gives me more of the identity that I'm looking on this timeline so um reading obviously I picked up more heavy once I got out of school and so I mean, I read all types of books, man. Um, <laughs> what do you What do you got? What are you reading right now? Or listening to an audio book? Uh, I'm listening to crazy stuff from uh, really wild stuff, like uh, <laughs> uh, a story about a pimp. Uh, a the pimp, iceberg. Story. The iceberg. I'm I'm listening to that audio book. Yep, yep. One because I was suggested. Somebody was like, "Oh yeah, you should check this out." From <laughs> just checking this shit out. Oh, I read the book. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, so, sure. so reading and listening to audio books like that to uh, reading stuff on like uh, the Laws of War. Oh, right. Robert Greene. Uh, Robert Greene was the the power book. Oh, right. But uh, the Laws were by Sue. Oh, Sun Tzu. Yeah, Sun Tzu. Oh, the Art of War. The Art of War. Right. Right. Uh, Machiavelli. You read books like. Um, I got a book right now talking about the um, understanding the assault on the black male in America, for instance. That's the name of the book? That's the name of the book. So it talks about the systematic, uh, just explaining what's going on for us as the assault is is not something that's a phenomenon, more of a uh, a planned out process. a planned out way of how they are assaulting what's going on right now. So it just explains the realities of Can the you give current us a black. brief uh like or I know you're still reading it, but um <laughs> uh it touches on for instance the essence of what super predator meant and how it was labeled 
uh, on our black community and the origins of it and why it was came about that and why uh, the drug and the drug impact of the '80s was a thing and um, understanding what it was meant for and why it was meant for it to be that way. Uh, and you know, because once you know, you know how to operate. Essentially, that's what you. Can, can you explain that really quickly? The super predator. Um, <laughs> more. I, I would love for everybody to read the book themselves. Um, okay. You know, you never want to take the that ability from the person, but um, you know, you reaching back into demonizing the criminal and criminalizing right. our youth. Right. Um, there's a reason for it. There's a reason why. You know, you see so much of it now and why it's trying to be normalized. You see so much of why it hasn't been addressed. You see how it even got to that point and where it stemmed from and the reason why it was stemmed that way and uh, how it's used politically to have advances in, you know, things of laws being passed and things that unfold that um, is the assault on, uh, you know, our people. Because, you know, we obviously deal with enough as it is and understanding what's going on can help you operate and, and, and do better for the group that is happening to you. What What's a book that you've read that you were like, I wish I had read this sooner. Um, probably there's one book called a uh, mind gym. Um, I've heard. Yeah. Mind gym by Gary Mack. And, uh, uh mind gym by Gary Mack. Mm hmm. Um, it's a, it's a really great book, man. I think mental toughness is a very underrated, um, quality to have, not only in sports, but just in general, man. Um, mental toughness, you, you can never have enough of. Um, I think what makes the book also so good is the fact that, uh, reading that book gives you some perspective into a elite athlete's mind. So it talks about the mental tools that Tiger used to become so great, which can be applied to a regular person like me or you in terms of what it takes to be mentally tough and break it down the science of it and gives you practices on how to become mentally tougher because those are the things that, you know, mentally tough people are the best people to have in your life. You know, everybody needs somebody, if not yourself, that's very mentally tough because to be unshaken by things is that's a powerful thing, man. You're a powerful dude if uh, you're able to mentally be locked in and not let the things around you uh, affect you. Because you know what affects you inside is what you experience in your reality outside. And like we talked about from the very beginning, the most important thing in the world is that you understand that what you believe about yourself is all that matters. You know. Um, so that comes with mental toughness. And being mentally tough, it takes a practice. You know, it's like a mental muscle. So just as much as you get into the gym at Lifetime Fitness and, and Equinox, uh, you need to get into your mental mastery as well because once you can master yourself, that's how you change your environment and, and, and accomplish it, honestly. It's so true because I, I realize, like, I, I, and I think part of uh – going back to talking about vulnerability is that being vulnerable isn't necessarily about you saying, oh, you hurt me or this, blah, blah, blah. It's not about always expressing the pain or the angst. Part of being vulnerable is just being aware that something has affected you. 
mm-hmm. being like you know like your parents divorce like that had an effect on you uh spraining your you know hurting your ankle that had an effect there was an emotional uh uh, there were emotional phases that you were going through, whether it was from anger, pain, dep- or whatever it was, right? Like, it's affecting me. And then saying, here's, then making the decision, right? It goes back to decision making, right? Uh, of how you are going to handle it yourself. Not waiting to see how other people are going to respond. Not waiting uh, on anybody or anything else. Deciding in your head, what your response is going to be. And, and to me, that, that's mental toughness. It's not so much not about, it's not about like uh, not being shaken. It's about saying, whoa, that really shook me. How do I reinforce? It's like when there's an earthquake. Whoa, that really shook the building. Uh, but fortunately, the building has been reinforced with steel and and all these different things so that it didn't destroy the building, right? So it moved it. Oh, that was an earthquake. We acknowledge it, but because, you know, like you said, like we've worked on our self-esteem, we've worked on our confidence, we've worked on who we are as a person, that that we don't crumble, yeah. right? That's, to me, that's, that's, the, that's the, like the building that we're in, living in California, you know? We're vulnerable mm-hmm. to an earthquake, but hopefully we're in a building that doesn't crumble under the weight of uh, of the earthquake uh, that that hits us, and, and same thing. You want to build your mind up uh, with that, Malik. Man, it's been fantastic uh, having you on this podcast. I always ask this of all my guests. Uh, man, there's so much more I really want to talk to you about, but uh, or time constraints. But uh, I always feel like there's someone listening in who may be on a precipice of taking their life. And before you kill yourself, what would you say to that person? I think there's a, <laughs> I think there's just a bigger picture to everything. You know, um, the situations that you go through in your life you're not the only one going through them and they can always be worse in, in somebody else's situation. Um, never think that the decisions that you make um, are not going to affect other people and that that self-love that you have to carry with yourself means more than anything else and that's the most thing, that's the most that somebody's going to remember you for is how you care for yourself and how that in turn care for other people. Um, I think if you believe in a higher divinity, everything that you were meant to do is already given to you and we're all born in that potentiality. Um, I just encourage you to keep educating yourself on who you are and and gaining more self-love. And once you do that, I promise you, it'll it'll change your life moving forward. As as such a... uh it's so powerful that you say that of uh, educating yourself on who you are and and also educating yourself as to the history of your people. There's a power in knowing that people like yourself and, and latch on to whatever you can latch on to. For me, I've latched on to, uh, you know, I'm, I'm big on astrology, 
And I like to look up other. I'm a Pisces, so I look up other Pisces. I'm a Pisces, little shout You're out Pisces. Pisces. Yeah. I'm a Pisces, and I'm left handed. <laughs> and I'm okay. Yeah, hey, turn so, up. <laughs> that's, so, that's hilarious, man. I, 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 this is my brother right here. <laughs> hey, for um, real. And uh, and I had a, had a knee injury, so yeah, similar stories. Catholic school, all that stuff. But um, but looking at other Pisces who've been successful, from Steve Jobs to. Uh, Oh man, I'm pulling a blank right now. Obama, but, uh, Obama, but you know, and, and he's left-handed, and so I latch onto the fact that left-handed people are have uh, most presidents have been left-handed. Yeah, and then I latch on to you know Steve Jobs is a Pisces, and look at what he's been able to do, and then I latch on to black people, and I latch on even America, the history of America. Like I'm an American, I was born in this country. What's the history? of America and, and you look at we've been through all these civil wars and all these uh, you know so many clashes and yeah we're still fighting but we still even though all, all the fighting and all the the, the online uh, 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 you know misogyny and racism all those things that you see look at everything that we've been able to build yeah we've been able to build a Tesla <laughs> we invented a telephone a refrigerator and all that even with all the the war and the discourse and the disagreements and the uh, and the you know uh, the, the 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 battles that we've gone through, we've still been able to uh, push things forward. So I look at all that, and so I just encourage you to whatever situation you're in to zoom out, yeah, zoom out beyond yourself, and and find. And grab on to what other what other uh, sources of resiliency uh, that you have, uh, Malik. Where can they find you? Uh, Plug man. your Instagram. Be shameless. Don't be <laughs> humble, like you said. Instagram. Shout me out on Overtime, Malik. You know we rocking on the Overtime channel, doing it big. Uh, and then on Twitter, just search Malik Zaire. Man, I'm pretty pretty reachable. Holla at your boy. Call me. I'm single. Ladies out there, uh, you know, do anything. I'm. I'm working. Hey, I got a, I got enough to take girls on dates, but a uh, full time girlfriend bill not there yet. But uh, we can have some fun. Just call me. Uh, <laughs> he out of here. I have never had somebody <laughs> plug. He said I'm single. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, he's 24 for real, and and, and, you, uh, and I, I take it any ethnicity uh, works. Oh yeah, look, we we take it all, man. It's an <laughs> equal opportunity fund that. What, what qualities are you looking for? Uh, I need a girl who, okay, there's only two qualities. I think that two all qualities. men, two okay. qualities that all men should even look for. One, you got to listen. And two, you got to be available. Those are really <laughs> the only two things that, that men truly, truly, truly want, ladies. You know, at this point, it's not even about what you look like, man. If you could just be available for your man and just listen I think we can we can make anything work together. That is hilarious, ladies. Uh, <laughs> you know where to reach him over time, Malik on Instagram. Uh, Ed, uh, this is Leo Flowers signing out. Thank you for tuning in. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for you calling the one eight hundred suicide number or going to get therapy or talking to a professional mental health specialist. Uh, I do appreciate you listening, and remember the biggest thanks that you can give me is to share the episode, the podcast with a friend. That, that's your homework. Just share it with one other person 
You don't have to share this episode. Share one of your favorite episodes. Share any episode uh, with a friend uh, or family or enemy, anybody. And uh, and we love it because uh, every month I, I love to see it. The numbers are growing. Ex- we're expanding. And uh, and the goal is to do live podcasts. And, 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 and so I can meet all of you uh, who've been tuning in and subscribing. Thank you so much. And we will talk to you soon.